Let's pretend that this isn't advice. And I'm Erin, and I'm not giving you advice. It's it's not advice. I can't help myself <laughs> give advice. I don't mean to. I don't want to. I want you to be able to live your life, but I know how to do it. I'm a huge know-it-all, and this is where I practice not giving advice to people. Except I totally give advice to them. I'm a lawyer turned professional certified coach, and I just happen to give the best advice. But this is a podcast, not a coaching session, so I obviously don't do that here, except I do. This is not advice with Erin Conlon, your know-it-all lawyer coach friend. This is not advice. Hey, friends. Um, On this episode of This Is Not Advice, I have Lauren Huberman, Lauren is a friend, a comedian, a brilliant human who runs a show in Chicago called Hot Dish. And also she runs Backroom Comedy, which is one of the best shows in Chicago. Um, Hot Dish, you can go see live at Lincoln Lodge. It is also a podcast. Go check it out. Lauren, check her out. Uh, Chicago Comedy, check it out. It is the breeding ground for all of the comedians that you will see nationally in 10 years. Okay. Lauren is amazing. You're going to learn a lot in this episode about why people do comedy, what starts them, and also how that relates to full expression and uh, education, which is Lauren's real job, a real quote unquote. Um, I love Lauren so much. And I just, I want to take a minute and talk about the world that we live in because Um, what I'm super present to, especially with this Roe decision being, or the decision that's overturning Roe being leaked, I don't even know the case names. Um, we're constantly in a world that expects us to react to things, react to the news, react to what other people say to us, react to literally everything, tweets, whatever, Reaction is inherently not creative. When we're in a state of reaction, it's our nervous system responding, not our highest and best self. And so I just want to invite you as a human being to consider what you want to respond to. Take a breath Acknowledge that you have a reaction. There are feelings, so many feelings. And there's nothing bad or wrong with having feelings. We all have them. Uh, I personally have many feelings about the Supreme Court. I'm very sad about my former profession. There's a lack of integrity that I uh, don't know what to do with. And that's my judgment about it. Um I'm sure other people feel differently. Uh, and also I'm like, all right, let's, we got we to fix it because um, I feel like there are some really big implications for human beings in the world, especially in the United States, should this decision come to pass. Um, and if I go about the rest of my life reacting to things that could be or reacting to uh, what somebody says to me, I'll live the rest of my life on my heels. And then I'm not creating this podcast. And then I'm not quitting my job and creating my business. And then I'm not talking to you. And it's deathly important to me that I'm here today. And I want you to be in the place where it's deathly important to you that you are here today. So I don't know if this makes any sense. I hope it does. But my invitation to you is to consider giving yourself space to respond, feel your feelings, take in the information and respond before you react. Okay. Zelda's here. She wants me to take her for a walk. Uh, Enjoy this conversation with Lauren Think about what you want to create in the world and have an amazing freaking week. Um, oh, and if, 
if you want some actual structure on how to create your life and practice responding, I do have space for a client. It can be you. So email me, Aaron at AaronConlin.com. And remember, just because something's bad today, doesn't mean it's the end of the world. All right. Oh, and just because something's great today, doesn't mean it's always going to be great. I don't know. Whatever. It's not all or nothing. Yeah, I don't have anything great to add to that. Lauren is amazing. Check out this podcast. Have a great week. Hey, Lauren. Hi, Aaron. Um, Lauren Huberman. First of all, I just have to say your your aunt was the woman who delivered me. <laughs> I know. And I just saw her and she was asking about you. Yeah. I find this hilarious only because, so we know each other through the Chicago comedy scene. And I remember it was like one of our first open mics that we both did it together and you got called up on stage as Lauren Huberman. And I know the per, the doctor's name for who delivered me because she was also my first gynecologist. She <laughs> prescribed me birth control. <laughs> and when you got called up on stage, I was like, no way is this person related. <laughs> but you were. Yes, I it's am. A, it, in Chicago. It's a, such a small world. I love it. Totally. Yes. It's such a small world. Oh, well, tell me how is uh, your aunt doing? She's doing well. She's enjoying her retirement. How long has yeah. she been retired? Um, I want to say like maybe three or four years. Mm. Something like that. Yeah. Can you imagine like what our generation is going to be like when we're retired and all, like I don't, we, neither you and I are going to have kids, but we're going to be the aunt the, we're going to be those aunts who our, our nieces and nephews are going to talk about us this way. Yes, that is very true. Well, hopefully they'll say that we have exciting lives and that we go on lots of adventures I mean, what I hope so too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And that, yes, we have nice long lives, Aaron. Yeah. Well, uh, how would you introduce yourself outside of like uh, your aunt delivered me and you're a comedian? Um, okay. Well, how about I introduce myself? Yes. That's um, okay. So I'm Lauren. And <laughs> I feel like I'm about to do stand-up. People always think that I'm Indian, except for my dad, who thinks I'm a lesbian. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's such a good joke. You didn't have that when we were doing stand-up together. That's so great. Thank you, thank you. Um, it's like you're. It's like where you have a little private Zoom show here, um, like pandemic times. So. Yeah, Erin, that's such a hard question. Um, I have worked in education for, um, you know, close to 20 years, and I've lived in Chicago for 22 years, which is just mind-blowing to me um, how quickly time goes by. Um, I am definitely a Midwesterner. I am also very indecisive. Um, I'm a Libra. <laughs> And uh, the indecisiveness. <laughs> exactly. Um, which is paralyzing at some some points in life. Um, and what else can I tell you? You're yeah, a producer. I live up, yes, I, um, I produce a comedy show called Backroom Comedy with three other women. Um, and that is really fun. That's at a live one. And we always have a diverse lineup. And it's a free show um, once a month on Friday. And I also have a podcast that I'm in the process of turning into a live show, um, and it's called Hot Dish. And the first one will be um, this Thursday at the Lincoln Lodge. Although, so, so this oh, will be after we, because like I think we're going to release oh, yeah. this next Thursday. But so okay. going there forward, will, will it be yeah. a weekly show or a monthly show? How it'll are you be do it? monthly. Um, and I don't know when it will be. Okay. Yeah. So I'm not sure. Well, tell us about like, well, finish what you were going to say. Yeah, no, I, I did do hot dish 
once with a live audience, but that was also in my kitchen. And so I just had some friends and neighbors come (laughs) over (laughs) and it was very fun and we had a blast. So I'm hoping that this Thursday will also be fun. I'll have um, Kevin Bozeman on. He's a very big and intimidating comic and human being, but I'm sure we'll have a lot of fun and we'll laugh a lot. So like, is he physically big? He's physically big. And he's also, (laughs) are you going to worry? Are you worried he's going to smush you? (laughs) (laughs) No, but he's a, he's a very, he's got a very big presence in many ways. Okay. Um, And he's also been doing stand up for over 20 years. Um, And he is just, He's a badass. He's a total badass and he is hilarious. So what are you making? Um, we're making chilaquiles. Um, I've never made them and I'm sure it'll be a complete disaster, but it'll be an adventure. Are you making your own like tortilla chips, tortillas? Well, I have to cut corners. I think I am going to make tortilla our, my own, our own, And I've read that that is best done using corn tortillas that you leave out overnight and then you cut up into strips and fry. Mm -hmm. So we'll fry them on site at the Lincoln Lodge during the show. But I will not be making my own salsa because that, uh, I just, I've got a timeline here. Like I've got a start time and an end time and I'm a little nervous that that'll, you know, get crazy. Do you have a food processor? Yeah. You can make salsa pretty quickly with a food processor. Oh, okay. Well, maybe I'll try it. One of my um, <laughs> one of my jobs as a teenager was a line cook, and the other job was in the produce department at Bush's Grocery Store in Plymouth, Michigan, and Ann Arbor, Michigan. Mm-hmm. And so I learned all of these like cooking tricks and prep cooking trips when I was young. And so now I'm like, I don't, I haven't cooked in six months because I, my kitchen, my whole house was torn up. And so I was like not cooking at all because it was dusty and dirty, but (laughs) I do know how to make salsa pretty quickly in a food processor and for chilaquiles because you don't actually need it to be like pico where it's chunky Right. Like where it's whole tomatoes, you could do it in a food processor if you wanted to. Okay. I'm going to consider that and mm-hmm. I might do it. Um, I'm a little afraid because I have to roast the tomatillos or something. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's like a to. whole thing. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Well, isn't the whole point of it that you like make a huge mess as you dish out on random things? Yes. <laughs> what it like I haven't actually gotten really in depth into your show. What is it that you love asking people about? Well, hmm. I love asking them. I mean, I I love just kind of hearing their comedy story, but then, you know, how did they get started? Why do they do it? What do they love about it? What do they, you know, dislike? I like asking people if they bomb, what do they do when they bomb? Um, but also I just like knowing people's stories, you know, where, where are they from? Um, what was their childhood like? I mean, we don't go like super in depth. It kind of depends on the guest, but, um, but I like, I like learning people's stories. Um, and then it's also just, it's just kind of fun because some guests have probably not cooked in years or like hardly ever. And some are like very adept, um, in a kitchen, like with cooking skills. And so it's also just kind of fun to see that. And it's fun to have, you know, someone at my house, like in my space with me and cooking. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is pretty intimate. Um, and I, and I am someone who gets nervous and anxious, Um, so I always like have to kind of calm myself down before like the buzzer rings and then I'm like, they're here and it's just us in my kitchen, you know, but, but then it's always really fun and it's, it's a really, it's almost like a, I don't know. It's like an activity that you do together. So, um, 
it's a it's a very fun way to just spend like an hour hour and a half with someone and and a lot of times i didn't know a lot of things that that we've talked about so i like it for that reason too so what's the question that you ask your guests that i don't ask mine that i should ask you oh um a question that i ask my guests that you don't ask yours um hmm well i i mean i i have kind of found myself lately i feel like my questions have been a little bit repetitive but i always do want to know how did someone get started in stand up why did they start what do they love about it i mean that kind of stuff is interesting to me because i think in the comedy community there's such a wide range of people Mm -hmm. with all kinds of experiences, backgrounds, professions. I mean, you name it and you know, Aaron. And, um, and so I think it's just so fascinating to know what has brought all of these kind of hodgepodge, weirdo, random, eclectic group of people. Like what's, why, why are we all on a stage holding a microphone and feel this like compulsion to do this? over and over and over again. It's weird, right? It's a compulsion. It's the, can I tell you a secret? I kind of miss it. And I, I have been thinking like, oh, maybe I should go back. Do it. I don't want to, I don't want to go to open mics. (laughs) Oh, well, I don't blame you. I mean, listen, I don't, I don't hate open mics, but no matter how you feel about it, it's a huge time suck. There's no question. Yeah. Well, so what, what was your impetus for doing stand-up? So I had, I had been teaching and then I, when I stopped teaching and I started working downtown in an office, um, probably like eight to 10 years ago, I don't know, it's hard for me to keep track of when, um, I, I missed kind of being on, you know, I missed, um, Mm -hmm that feeling of like, you know, there's a performative aspect in a way to teaching, or at least like facilitating, being on your feet, asking questions, fielding questions, those kinds of things. Um, and so I took a, I took a couple acting classes, which was terrible because I was so terrible. And the acting teacher told me I was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I have a terrible actor too. I have like, (laughs) I have like four emotions and they're all anger. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. (sighs) Oh my God. Yeah. Like quiet anger or like anger where you really let it loose. There's like subtle anger. There's the disapproving anger. (laughs) Basically I'm my dad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you would probably have more limited opportunities in that world, Aaron. Yeah, just just none. <laughs> just none. Oh man. Yeah. It's so <laughs> Oh my god. It's so funny cuz um yeah, it was like, "Oh, well, I don't just think I'm bad. I actually know that I'm bad because my mm-hmm. teacher told me." <laughs> so um so there was that. So I did that. It was, it was terrible, but it, it's very funny to me. Um, and it, I think it was funny at the time too inside. I mean, I was embarrassed, but I also thought it was sort of funny just to put yourself in such a random place and then, um, fail so miserably. So, um, <laughs> I'm sorry. So I just think it's so- <laughs> Failure is one of those things because we, our relationship to it is usually like avoided at all costs, but in a certain light, it's hilarious and it's joyful. Like right now, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm getting so much joy from your failure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you aren't the only one. I'm sure other people in the class, like there were some really like people were good. I mean, it was a beginning class, but um right. But everyone seems to have some natural talent. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> except me. Um, so, so that was 
ridiculous. And then I was like, okay, this isn't, I think I just need to be me. How can I be me? So then I took a storytelling class, which Mm -hmm. was very fun. And, um, and I told, and we had a show, you know, it was like, we had a class at some, it was actually at someone's house in their living room. And then we had a show, it was Scott Whitehair's class and he's great. Um, and, and so that was very fun. And then when that ended, I, asked him for a recommendation and he recommended um, Femcom, which I took with Kelsey Huff, which was of course amazing and so much fun. And as soon as I did that, I was like, oh, this is just, this is incredible. I just, I want to keep doing this. So I did. And I just hadn't, I haven't stopped since, which was about six, uh, probably about six years ago. It was about six years ago because I think you took Femcom around the same time as me, maybe the first, maybe the class before, the class after. So for those of you who don't know what Femcom is, Femcom is a class for women to learn stand-up comedy. It was actually started by Cameron Esposito, uh, I think around 2014, I think is when she started it, maybe a a little bit later. Um, and you can take it through the Lincoln Lodge in Chicago. The Lincoln Lodge is a long standing theater that has had many, many buildings as its home, but it is an institution that um, has brought up some of the world's best comedians Pete Holmes, Camille Nangiani. Those are both uh, Lincoln Lodge comedians. I can't think of. Um, I, I'm like spacing on who else I has know, gone through too. the Lincoln Lodge. A lot. Yeah. So many people have gone through the Lincoln Lodge. Irene, Irene Chu. Is mm. that her name? I don't know. Anyway, good comedians mm-hmm. come through the Lincoln Lodge and get their starts there. And uh, if you're a man, you can just take up regular stand-up comedy classes. But if you're a woman, sometimes that space uh, is uncomfortable. And so Femcom became a place where, um, we could learn to be funny without having, uh, a million dick jokes in our face. (laughs) Well said. And then you can go to the open mics and get all the dick jokes you want. Well, I think the other benefit to Femcom and those kinds of classes for women is that you make friends and so then you can have a buddy system. So then you have people to go to the open mics with. So then it becomes a community for you rather than just the one and done kind of thing, which is one of the things that I really appreciate about women in Chicago comedy. I've just noticed that we all stick together pretty well. Definitely. Yeah. And it is really a whole community. I mean, not everyone who takes fem time. Femcom ends up doing stand-up. In fact, a lot of people don't. Um, for some, maybe it's just a skill that they they want to be more comfortable, you know, with public speaking. Some it could just be like, oh, this is a thrill. I've I've always wanted to try this. And then um, so so it kind of, you know, people kind of are parsed out based on their interests and and commitment in the end. But the reality is, I mean, hundreds of women in Chicago have taken Femcom. And it's really cool Mm -hmm. to be be part of that. And it really is a community and kind of a network of, of people. So it's it's neat. There's like a family tree too, of like the women who've taken Femcom and what people have done with it. It's Mm -hmm. really, really neat. Podcasts, shows, babies have come from it. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. And, and I know, you know, people have very, um, people have different feelings about taking a stand up comedy class. Um, for me, if I hadn't taken that class, I a hundred percent can tell you, I would not be doing stand up. Um, so, okay. But really who is against stand up comedy classes? I don't know. It's funny. I've, I've heard like a couple, like more than a couple comedians who are kind of like, yeah, I mean, you can pay, you know, X amount of money. I mean, really Femcom is like, or at least when I took it, it was 200 bucks. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's pretty reasonable for what it was, what it right. is. 
Um, but you know, some places like Second City, again, like kind of at the time, it was like three fifty, four hundred dollars to take a stand up class there, and so. I've heard other comics just kind of say like, just save your money and and start writing and going to open mics. I would say that for me, again, without the class, like the class is how I learned to start to structure jokes and also how I had confidence to go to an open mic because we have a student show and people go crazy and they're clapping and cheering for you and it, and it feels really good. And you know, if I didn't have that five minutes of material that I'd created in the class, there's no way I would have showed up to an open mic. Totally. Well, in my experience, it's been the it's been men who tell you you don't need to spend money on taking a class. <laughs> that is, yes, I think that is probably true. And it's usually too. white hetero cis men that tell yeah. you. You don't need to spend money on taking a class. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. I I can't really think of any women who've said that. And I don't know that I have ever heard anyone say that about Femcom either. Mm -hmm. I don't think think I've ever heard non-white men say, don't take a class. That's interesting. Yeah. I'll have to pay more attention. Because really what you need, what it is, is an accountability structure. It's kind of like, well, you don't need an executive coach. You don't need a life coach. You don't need me, but guess what happens when you hire me or talk to me? Cool things. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, exactly. It's accountability. It's structure. It's support. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. I mean, yeah, it's very beneficial. So what for you, like as you got into stand-up, what did you notice about that creative need that you have? Um, I noticed that I I mean I loved it. Like I love and I still love being on stage, but initially yeah, I absolutely loved it. I felt like I could have talked and talked and talked. Like I I would write so much stuff, just all kinds of, not even anything necessarily good or not bad, but just like all kinds of thoughts, fragments, stories, like little scraps of things here and there. Like, um, and yeah, and I absolutely loved it. I loved, I loved it. Um, so yeah, that was the main thing. I mean, it it felt like a total thrill and it felt like, so it was so much fun. Um, and then I think as time went on and I, I got more used to it. I mean, I still think it's a thrill and I still find a lot of joy in it. I also have realized that I think, yeah, it's, it's therapeutic. It's not therapeutic though. Like I go to my therapist, I don't mm-hmm. use comedy as my therapist. Those to yeah. me are two different things, but it is therapeutic. And for me, it's therapeutic to connect with people in that way. And it's therapeutic to say something that, um, maybe is stigmatizing or maybe you feel bad about, but you know, other people can relate to, and you can laugh about it and it helps to feel better, at least for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the other thing is like, just, yeah, connection and sharing stories. I mean, stand up for me, a lot of it is, um, well, pretty much all of what I talk about on stage is true. Um, or there's a lot of truth in it, you know? Um, and so I think that is, cathartic also in some ways. So, yeah, I get that. I think one of my coaching mentors once is a little bit of an accusation. She was like, Oh, you're most honest when you're on stage, aren't you? And I was, I was like caught red handed because I think 
for me, when I was on stage, it was probably when I could say the things that I really feel without needing to put pillows around it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really helpful to me to watch other people be like, yeah, man, I totally get it. Like I used to have this bit about wanting to give up with like a coffee table made out of pizza boxes and just finger fingers covered in Cheeto dust for forever. (laughs) (laughs) Like my crowning achievement would be like finishing Netflix. And (laughs) 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 like, that feels like it would be really fun to me. Um, And I would watch people's reaction to that when I was on stage and they'd be like, me too. And I'm like, Oh good. Okay. Because as a high achieving person, there's also that like desire to be the lowest high achiever, (laughs) like the best at not achieving anything. It totally. Yeah. And of course we all, I mean, everyone has those tendencies like, Last night, I mean, you know, it's Sunday night and it was nine o'clock and I was like, God, I just want to lay here for five more hours and watch TV. I mean, that is literally what I want to do, but then you can't do that if you want to do other things in life, you know, but, but, but it's fun. It's fun to talk about that because everyone can relate to that, Mm -hmm. like to your, you know, coffee table made out of pizza boxes, like who doesn't love to stay in their pajamas, order pizza and watch TV like all day and all night? <laughs> how, how, wait, how many days in a row do you think that you could do that before you like really felt terrible? Mm, not many. Um, <laughs> like maybe two. Uh, now that I have a dog, it has changed because she like is very needy and wants to do stuff every day, multiple times a day. It's very frustrating. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. You can't, you got to take the dog out all the time. It was like the best, worst mental health decision I ever made. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Well, I'm curious about, you, you work in education. You're still working in education, right? You just got a new job. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that relate to what you're doing in comedy? Like, what is there a crossover? How do they, how does it tie together for you? Hmm. I think that, um, yeah, I mean, in some ways it's, you know, my professional life is very separate from my performer life, my stand-up world. Um, but there's definitely some there's definitely some crossover. I mean, I think um like one example is I taught stand-up um at a prison. Um and I, I taught it with one of your other guests. And um you and can so say, like you can say which one. Colleen. Okay. Brennan. Hi Colleen. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, that was again, so that's kind of an intersection there. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, being able to go into a prison where there really is very limited, um, options for different kinds of programs, at least at this prison, um, that we were teaching at. And so being able to, um, have we taught just a women's stand up class and it was like six weeks, I think. Um, it was probably about four years ago now. Um, and so just being able to have the women do some simple writing exercises, I think was good. We gave them some writing prompts and they had some free writes, those kinds of things. And then again, kind of coming back to that sense of community. Um, having them perform what they wrote just for one another. They actually didn't want to have like a student show at the end, even though we said like, we even got permission. We could have like made popcorn and invited some other people, but they didn't want to. And I think they, most of the um, students in the class were very Mm self-conscious. 
but in front of one another, you know, they got more comfortable and, and it really was fun. And again, I think about like teaching and, um, it's a space where you want people to feel safe and you want people to feel like they can express their ideas and their opinions and interpretations and experiences. And so there definitely is crossover. And then again, if you think about like writing in in it of itself as a skill, um, you know, it doesn't matter what you're writing. It can be stand up. It could be, you know, a response to a paper. It could be, but, but there is, um, there is skill in being able to, um, you know, write and write a story yeah. and write in whatever form, be able to kind of tell your, your story or your narrative. What's your big vision? Mm. Well, that's a real, that, <laughs> that's a real big question, Aaron. I, I know. Oh my goodness. It's such a good one. It's such a, it's such a good one. Um, okay. So my big vision, I, it's, it's kind of a big vision for now. I mean, you could ask me in a year and I don't know. Um, but I well consider that this is not a binding contract. <laughs> this is just like you talking about what you want to create into the universe. And like, the more you talk about it, the way the universe works is it actually happens. That's it's true. Just, it's so weird. That's true. That's true. Okay. Fair enough. Um, I, in my brain, I'm like, well, if I say it, then yeah, I mean, then someone's going to hold me accountable, but then if I don't do it, then what, you know? Um, well, I am going to hold you accountable. (laughs) I know the worst being my friend slash client slash it's the Lauren is nodding vigorously. You guys can't hear, but her head almost fell off. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, Aaron, obviously, you know, we, we met a few months ago and talked maybe just two months ago. Gosh, I don't know. Maybe three. And, um, (laughs) time, what is it? It it matters. Um, sorry. (laughs) I'm just turning slightly because my cat wants to be with me. She's very sweet and I love her very much. Her name is Roz. Hi, Roz. Here she is. Hi, Rosie. Like, uh, from Frasier, Roz. Yeah. But this is Roz Huberman, of course, but yes. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. She, uh, she's so cute. I love her so much. So, um, okay. So my vision is, oh yeah. So when we met though, you know, you and I talked about, you were asking me some of these same questions. What are my goals? What do I want to do? What makes me happy? Those kinds Mm -hmm. of things. So one thing is definitely to have, um, a live show, which is hot dish. I mean, I have a stand-up showcase, you know, like I said, but, I think hot dish is just an exciting thing because um, it's just something I created and it kind of started as a small project during COVID and I was bored and I wanted to have a podcast, something to work on. And Mm -hmm. so, um, so now it's going to be a live show um, and that, and it's just me. And, and so it's something that like is, it feels like more pressure versus like the showcase that I run you know, with a group, Mm -hmm. there's a group of four. Um, but it's, but it's exciting and I feel, I feel ready for it. Um, so, so that's one thing I think continuing to, um, have a live show like that, that maybe I've just created. I think, um, I've thought about having a solo show at some point that would be, um, autobiographical. And I, I, I think that will happen at some point, but I don't know when. Um, I want to know about this, this one woman show that you want to do, but okay. And yeah, I don't know. Like, um, I, I actually, yeah, I've thought about it in the past and I started writing some stories for it in the past, but I'm really not ready for it yet. I, and Mm -hmm. I'm okay with that. I just, I want to wait a little bit. Um, and then, and, and wait until I'm kind of ready to tell whatever story it is I decide to tell, which I really don't know yet. Right. Um, but, you know, I was reading yesterday in the New York Times that Sarah Silverman has a show off Broadway. Um, and it's it's uh, based on her book, The Bedwetter, I think is mm-hmm. what it was called. Yeah. And so, um, 
you know, Sarah Silverman is 51 and she had some really interesting reflections to share about like her stand up when she, she even like 10 years ago and how she feels like some of it was just um just not what it is now like she i think feels like she's more thoughtful she's more empathetic she's i don't know more aware anyhow i'm i'm rambling but um but her show is very autobiographical and talks, you know, she, she talks about her childhood and her parents and, um, how they were divorced and her relationships with them. And, um, and then having this problem of wetting the bed, which she says she did through her teenage years too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that to me is very relatable, just that type of sharing about experiences, you know, growing up and, what that was like. Yeah. I, um, you know, one of the exercises I do with my clients is to, is to really get into what their life purpose is or what fuels them in life. And if I were to pick a thread from the 35 minutes that we've been talking so far, one of the things that I really noticed for you is that expressing yourself fully and sharing and showing others how to fully express themselves might actually be a driver for you in mm-hmm. all areas as a teacher, as a administrator in education, as a comic, as a producer. How does that land for you? Yeah, no, that I think that's right. I mean, that definitely resonates and it also connects a lot of these pieces, like you said, um, yeah, I, I think it's definitely like a through line in all of these things. How does it like being fully expressed show up in your personal relationships, friends, family, et cetera? Um, hmm. I, you know, I, I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I think I try to, um, to be honest and open about my feelings and to give people honest and open feedback if they, you know, if they want it, if they're asking. Um, But more than anything to, you know, try to be there for other people, try to be empathetic because I, I, for me, I think one of my most pervasive feelings in life is loneliness. And so if I, if I feel like, and so that feeling is so familiar to me that I, I want to be able to help. I don't know. I, I want to be able to be there for other people. I don't yeah. want people to feel like they're alone, whether it's students that I've had or friends or, you know, I was at this conference for work the other day and there was this teenage girl sitting alone at one of the tables and you know, I didn't say anything to her because I was with my work colleagues and I actually thought it might embarrass her more if she was like, why is this presenter at this conference? Like talk, it just might've actually made her feel more alienated. Yeah. But, but to me like that feel, I was like, I felt terrible for her and anyhow. So yeah, I think I, I think I try and be honest and open about my feelings, but I also just maybe through my standup too, like you just try and show people that um, it's okay to feel a certain way and, and to laugh about it together. And that like people have very common experiences and you're not alone. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the, I also have that loneliness streak. Um, I feel like I'm a permanently single person. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> this is my state of being every time I'm in a relationship. I'm like, this is weird. This is, it's atypical for me, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And that I lost my train of thought, but. Well, it was that I think a lot of people who perform are actually incredibly lonely. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. 
why do you think we're like that? <laughs> why do you think we have to get on stage to be connected with people? Yeah, I don't know. Um, it's funny because I, I think for some people, I think that it comes out in a lot of different ways. Like there's, there might be some people who want this um, maybe approval. There might mm -hmm. be some people who it's about connecting and it's about this kind of like, that's I think probably what drives me. Um, it could be for other people. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know exactly, but it, it's different things to different people, but it definitely is. It serves a purpose for everyone who gets up there. Sometimes I wonder if it's a trust thing. If we like, if there's just a lack of trust that people will get you. And so if there are 50 people in the audience or 20 people in the audience or 200 or 2000, there's just a greater chance that somebody will get you. Yeah. Or, or they won't get you and you'll bomb big time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, the, you're the one, the bombing collector. So what have you noticed about those stories? I just, I think it's so great. I mean, so uh, I think bombing is so awful, but it's so humbling and, <laughs> <laughs> and that's good because I, I mean, no matter how great of a comic someone is, if you ask them if they bomb and it's, it's yes, the answer is always going to be yes. People will always bomb period. And mm -hmm. that's what I love about it. And, um, and people, people have like very different reactions after they bomb, you know, like, um, I was joking on my podcast, oh, with Jim Flanagan. And I was saying I hide in the bathroom after I bomb, you know, because <laughs> it's that awful. It's just that awful. I can't look people in the eye after it happens, you know? Um, yeah. How do you know that you bombed? Oh my God. Um, oh, it's like, it's pretty much like crickets. And then as soon as that happens, I start to just tense up and then it just keeps happening. Like I, I start to react and I become nervous and then I usually can't get myself back on track to a really comfortable place then where I can like really connect with people again. It's, mm. but it's definitely the silence. I mean, that's a huge indicator <laughs> when <laughs> there's no feedback and you're like, I am in, I'm in a bad place. Well, what's your, like, what's your worst bomb? I, I could, I, oh my God, I've talked about it on my podcast. So, um, I, it was my first show after Femcom mm -hmm. and a benevolent friend put me up at Zany's in Rosemont and he was like, oh, you got it. You got it, Hoobs. You know, you, you could do. Yeah. He was like, you can do a guest spot. And Rosemont, the Rosemont Zany's, as you know, probably know, I'm guessing, is gigantic. Um, and it was very full. And I had never done like a real show. <gasps> yeah. This is. So I just want to share for the audience, like how comics normally get on stage, normally get to a, a venue like Zany's is two years of open mics and free showcases. And then they beg, lie, cheat and steal <laughs> to meet the booker at Zany's or get the booker's email. And then they send clips for another two years and then they get on stage at Zany's and like Zany's laugh factory, any of these second city, even any of these theaters that have a brand name associated with them. It's not necessarily that you're going to get paid, but it has uh, social cachet. Like it has credibility to it. So that this was your second show ever. I'm, I just feel really bad for you. 
Oh, Aaron, it was, it was, it was so, so bad. Um, yeah, I bombed like the worst, I mean, really like the worst bomb ever. And I, I actually felt like a little bit sick before I went on stage, um, which actually has not happened to me since it's literally never happened to me since, um, where I felt I, I could just feel it. Like my, I was having a physiological response to looking at the crowd, how nervous (coughs) I was, how ill-equipped I was. Um, so yeah, I totally, totally bombed. Um, it was almost quiet except for the like eight friends that made the trip because, and my sister who was pregnant at the time and she came and after they were like, we're so proud of you. Like they were so sweet. And I was like, I didn't do well. Like no one laughed and they were like, we loved you. You were the best. Like it was very sweet. Um, and so I got off stage and it was silent. And then I said to my friend who had put me up like, Oh my God, like that was awful. And he was like, no, no, it was just, it was a tough crowd. Like it was a quiet crowd. And then he went out and it was so loud. Like you couldn't even hear. Um, (laughs) who is this person? And let's go. He's, I mean, he's I a wonderful, he's a really good comic and he was definitely doing me what he thought was a favor. Um, but anyhow, so it, so it was terrible, terrible. Um, and I've bombed many times since, but never as bad because I was way more prepared than that show. Well, I think the first time is always the worst too. Like the first time you fail at anything is awful and it's, it's part of gaining confidence though. Being willing to fail at something, being willing to put yourself out there is the route to confidence. And every time somebody's like, I want to feel more confident. I'm like, are you going to go to target? Get some confidence at the, at the comp at the, in the confidence aisle. Like <laughs> you're going to have to work at it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. And- you got to keep plugging away and like keep showing up. For me, doing stand-up was a massive shift in my relationship with failure and my relationship with practice. I started like as a perfectionist, somebody who had to have everything be perfect all the time. I'm pretty sure I bombed every time I got on stage and I just stopped relating to it as bombing because I was like, well, I'm practicing. Which is a great mindset and shift to have because it's true. Mm-hmm. It's true. And actually like, so I'm having Kevin Bozeman on hot dish at the Lincoln Lodge, you know, on Thursday. And I've, I've been like doing research about him and I was reading one of um, an interview with him. And one of the things he said was like, um, he basically was like comics, especially in Chicago, like at open mics, everyone's trying to bring their a game and everyone's trying to like impress one another. And that's, but, but there's a time and a place for that. And an open mic should be the, the place where you take chances, where you try new stuff. And if you don't kill and people expect you to kill, so what? Like, but you have a reason for not killing or Mm -hmm. he even said like, even on stage, like, you know, you can, and Kelsey used to tell me this sandwich in new material in between your old stuff that like really works. And, and if it doesn't kill, it doesn't kill, but like, that's, that's what you have to do to grow and develop new material. Yeah. I, um, I always got bored with my stuff that worked. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I think a lot of comics do, you know? Yeah. Well, how do you stay interested in the things that work for you? Like with comedy? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't always. Sometimes I, um, yeah, I don't always. I do. I, I mean, I kind of let myself 
um, say and try different things. And, um, and sometimes it doesn't work at all. And sometimes there's a big payoff. I mean, it, it, and that's a risk I'm fairly comfortable with, Mm -hmm. um, because I do get bored and I, once I start to get a little bit bored with it, it feel, I know that my delivery is less enthusiastic and less genuine. Um, but if I can do a couple different things, um, then it makes it easier to do some of my actual material material. Yeah. Um, what are some, like, what are some structures that work for you to move things forward? Um, I have a planner and you, you really (laughs) use a planner like for Uh, Franklin Covey. Yeah. If I didn't have my planner, I don't know what my life would be. Tell like, please share in detail how you use your planner. Cause oh, I, I don't, I don't, I can't even imagine. Um, I, yeah, I, um, I used to, t- <laughs> this is so bad. I used to tell someone that I dated that he needed to, um, get a planner get on medication and see a therapist. And, um, probably did. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, but it's like everyone does, but not really, but everyone does need a planner. Um, everyone also needs a therapist medication. eh. Right. True. Two out of three for sure. Okay. Yes. This planner, um, (laughs) it's just, it's just one of those little moleskin planners. I write every single thing down in it. And it looks crazy at the end of the week. It's just a huge mess of um, lists and things I've crossed out and little bubbles and whatever scribbles. Um, But it keeps my life organized. And that is how I do it. See, I just use my calendar, like my computer calendar. That is how I do anything. So if I need to go somewhere, be anywhere, whatever, I just put in my calendar. I put a reminder in based upon how far away it is. If it's not in my calendar, there is a 70% chance I'll be there. And it usually has to do with whether or not I actually want to. Well, so this is actually the same. We're using the same system, but we have different tools. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Good to know. Yeah. Well, I also, I've been like, because my business is growing, I'm starting to think about like, how am I ever going to transfer all of this knowledge in my head to somebody else to have like an assistant and some of the things that I'm going to have to start doing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm curious for you, you're kind of a boss lady. You have teams that work for you. How do you share your knowledge? So I don't have a team yet. I will probably in like the next one or two months. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have managed people before. This will be different because this will be for people just directly reporting to me. Um, But what I'm doing right now, and I'm doing this with my boss, who's wonderful. I love her. She's great. Um, But what I'm doing now is creating... um, you know, mapping out our priorities, mapping out um, what our kind of systems will look like. So this is at the mayor's office for people with disabilities. And so we're opening a career center this summer. Um, And so for example, like one whole kind of column of this work or one pillar of this work will be career readiness. So, um, you know, I created Um, some slides with different topics that the counselors will need to talk to clients about, and then lots of different questions and ideas. And um, I'm starting to create a toolkit for the career counselors um, that they'll use with their clients. Um, There'll be like an intake process. So it's really, because this is all new, none of Mm -hmm. this has been documented. So it's really starting to just create materials, core materials that we know will grow and change over time, but that we need to start with for now. That sounds so daunting to me. (laughs) 
It is. It is. But like, uh, for example, if we have five priorities that we want um, at the career center, like we're just like, well, in year one, we're going to focus on these three because it's you. It's really impossible to do all things at once. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So that sounds like pretty good advice for your work. How are you applying that to uh, how you're approaching your creative life? I have many notebooks, Erin, many, many notebooks. Um, and I, I write down my sets over and over and over again before each show. Um, so these aren't original thoughts in my notebooks anymore, but, um, let's see, how do I apply it in my creative life? Um, sheets of computer paper. I like write out the whole thing for hot dish. I don't write out a script, but I write out kind of like what's, you know, intro. And then I write out someone's credits. And then it's like, I even write out, welcome to hot dish. I'm Lauren Huberman, your host. Like I know to say that, but the, these are like the practices, kind of the mental preparation. Um, and, and I do that a lot. I think definitely lists, writing things down, um, which of course is like encoding it. Um, and then my planner and, mm-hmm. um, and a couple like simple spreadsheets, honestly. So what I'm hearing for you, organization is really, really helpful. A hundred percent. What is, um, what's some advice that you've gotten that like works for other people, but is terrible for you? Oof. Um, God, probably like, um, huh. <laughs> well, one thing is like, don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm like, that's impossible. Um, let's see. Another would be, yeah. And like that, that's not really a piece of advice. That's kind of just like a cliche. It's not like a cliche, but it's. Well, when people tell you to don't worry about it, they're telling you not to feel a certain way, which is just. It's yeah. just not cool, man. No. Um, a piece of advice would probably be like, um, yeah, I don't know. But it would definitely be something that would involve not preparing and going with the flow. Um, because the way I can be looser and go with the flow is when I've done the preparation. Um, I can say that for sure. Gotcha. Um, how can we help you? How can we find you, support you, like be in your corner, have your back? Um, come to Hot Dish at the Lincoln Lodge. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. How else? I mean... Well, you, hey, are they recording the this one, the, the live show? Are you guys recording these live shows now? Cool. So yeah. not only just come, but like download it, find it on iTunes. Where is it? It's YouTube. Yeah, it's, it's everywhere, Aaron. Okay. I, I don't, it, it's, um, it is really truly because the Lincoln Lodge just has like a subscription and it blasts it out to all these different platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you can find it on the Lincoln Lodge website and then it like links to whatever platform. Well, I'll also put a link in the bio for, oh. or in the description for this so that it's easy for people who are listening to this episode to click through and find you. Well, okay. Gracias. Um, <laughs> so let's see. No, I mean, I, what I will tell you is that when we, when I met you, you know, fairly recently, like that was very helpful and very supportive. I think even doing this podcast, like it, um, you know, it helps to clarify your feelings and your thoughts about certain things. And like you said, when you put it out into the universe, like you do make it a priority, you know, and, and, maybe people listen and maybe they don't, but it's, it's also kind of like telling yourself, yep, this thing is going to happen. You know, I know how many people listen to this show and it is just enough where I keep doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. How many people listen? Well, I'm not going to tell people on on that, but I'll tell you later. (laughs) Okay. Um, 
<laughs> okay. The last question I ask everybody, what is success for you? Hmm. Success for me. I mean, it, it's a few things, you know, it's, it's being able to have a job that I feel is meaningful and um, fulfilling and also helps people has an mm -hmm. impact on people. Um, so, so that's not going to change. Um, I, I think it's also, I mean, it's being part of a community, which I feel like I am. Um, and I feel very, um, I mean, I feel grateful for that. I feel fortunate to be connected to so many people who I think are talented and who I respect and who I care about. Um, and then I think it will be continuing to like explore new opportunities and like take chances, whether it's, um, creatively on stage or, um, you know, whether it's professionally when I have that opportunity to like take another step. I mean, I, um, yeah, I, th I think those are, I think those are the things. Nice. Also, so that when your nieces and nephews look back at you, I don't know, 30 years from now, they're like, she had a cool life. She's very cool. She's very adventurous. She did, exactly. she did cool things. Exactly. And, and she's hip. <laughs> yeah. Which is debatable, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> They'll never know how yeah. non-cool we were in 2022 <laughs> unless they find this. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much for being a guest on This Is Night Advice, Lauren. It was such a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Erin. It was it was so much fun. And um, and as always, you made me think. And I did take some notes. You did? Um, <laughs> I took a couple side notes. Um, That's funny. Yeah, because you have um, good insights. And um, yeah, and awesome. I value them. So thank you. Thank you. All right, uh, everyone, go listen to Hot Dish. There's episodes that already exist. There will be live shows that you can attend should you be in the city of Chicago. And uh, I'm certain that Lauren eventually will take this on the road because, I don't know, she's an adventurous woman. So uh, thank you so much. Okay, thanks. This Is Not Advice is brought to you by me, Erin Conlin. If you are interested in learning more about my coaching practice or how we might be able to work together, please visit erinconlin.com. This podcast would not have happened without production support from Cedar Cathedral Narrative Studio. 